from the I don't know what to say. I'm just speechless. To the We see all sorts of life-changing moments at McKinney competitions. How would you react? Cars, houses, tech bundles and more from just £2 a ticket. No purchase necessary. For competitions, rules and conditions, see mckinneycompetitions.com. My mum would say, well, you're bound to be good now. Get in there and get started. <laughs> so you practice cutting your sister's hair, my brother's hair, and uh, obviously making lots of mistakes. But they had a, we used to always joke, the difference between a good haircut and a bad one is a fortnight. <laughs> You'll soon get over it. Psychologically, it's better to deal with it rather than it deal with you. Yeah. So the only control you can get back is when you sit decide, listen, it's coming off, I'm going to take a pair of clippers to this and I'm going to get rid of it. Yeah. And then how you know that your time is up, he will put his hand into your hand and he will, you know, just as a thank you and you walk away at that point. If he, if you're holding on to his hand, you're not letting go, you're, you know, you're pushing your luck. Him and I uh, had similar views on things and I spoke to him about it and he got my concept and uh, we opened up the very first um, wig shop in Beaver Park and then it rolled out from that. But the very first person- To all the hospitals. To all over UK, but it was our idea. Yeah. to the voice of Therese Hughes, owner of Tressa's Hairpiece Boutique. Therese began hairdressing back in her early teens and by the age of just 19, she owned her own hairdressing salon. Um, Therese wanted to give something back, so she opened up uh, the first wig shop in the country and with that, she's helped um, countless people with cancer or alopecia or just people who feel the need um, to wear a wig. Therese was honoured for her um, work with an MBE in 2008. This is your host Elaine Ingram and here's Therese to tell us her story. So I'm sitting here um, with Therese and I'm surrounded by hair um, because we're in her shop here in Newry, Tresses, which right. tell me the, obviously the name Therese, is that how you came up with uh, the name? Uh, believe it or not, I happened to be reading a story was on the Green Gables and there's a story about uh, the tresses and I suddenly thought to myself well my name's Tres and tresses that actually is nice so and it's that, easy for everyone to remember exactly and it's nice so the it reminds me of me it's my kind of name in a way so tresses. and it is actually really fitting because it is the tresses are long beautiful uh, that's hair that's right and that's what you're all that's about that's what I'm all about and I just think the name's very fitting for what I do yeah so uh, explain now what it is that the, what, what it is that you actually do because if you drive by here and I do all the time because you're right at the traffic lights here exactly. and um, you know it's very it's quite noticeable but you you're a wig shop and um, you've been here for a long time now yes from 1998 yeah it's a long time I remember when I first started because my background was in hairdressing yeah. that's what got me started and I remember when I first got because my own hair so thin so fine and I always was embarrassed and I understand people who have, who have very fine hair yeah people who have thin I'm always wanting to cover it and make it look thicker than mine and comb overs and, and, yeah. and all and I really felt for them so because of my own problem I always took an interest in hair pieces and wigs and that kind of thing so what started it off was I started off when I was 19 that's how I started with my own hairdressing salon. 
No, hold on. Before we before mm-hmm. we get, were started, before we even get, get to that, that, you were in school, yes. and you decided you didn't want to go to university or anything like that. Did you always decide? Did you always want to be a hairdresser? No. The reality is, I I am always interested interested in fashion and people and watching what they do, and her especially. Since I, you were a child, even. Just, because I'm one of a big family, I'm one of actually fourteen children. Fourteen. One of fourteen. Oh my goodness. It was absolutely amazing, amazing, amazing growing up with a great mother and father. Where do you come in that? I'm number nine. So education mm-hmm. wasn't something that was pushed in yeah. our house. It was more physical. Get out and get a job. Go and do something that's um, going to bring in Productive. ready money at the time yeah. of trade or, and that type of thing. So I remember coming home from school when I was young and spotting a hairdressing salon that was in Canal Street. And I thought, I'll go in there after school and ask her for a job. So that was my first introduction to... And what age were you then? I was about 14. 14. Right. And at that time, I was so young, I actually had another job. I had two jobs. At 14? I, I, had, I had a job in an office where I used to go in and clean the office, in an architect's office uh, out the Belfast Road here. I used to do that. And then I used to babysit and I did everything. But that's, was that was back in the days. So I used to babysit when I was 14 too. Now now you wouldn't see as, so many 14-year-olds exactly. being allowed to babysit. Crazy. So I used to go from school to the off, out to the architect's office, clean it. The hairdressing salon didn't open up till 6. So she opened up from 6 o'clock to 9 every night and then all day Saturday because she was a working mum herself, a, 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 a housewife, and she stayed at home and looked after her children. And then she, when her husband came home from work, she opened her salon. So it was perfect for me. Yeah. And I loved it. Loved listening to all the gossip and all the style and the fashion. It was amazing. The new world. So very quickly, I picked up on, I could do most things more quicker than most people because I had the background of watching an older hairdresser doing martial waves and perms. And it was a completely different world. Perms. That was perms. That, that, a long that, time. That was- I remember the perm. Perms. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was fascinating. So luckily enough, from that, I ended up getting leaving school about 15 and getting a job, six, quite six, not just quite 16, in with scissors here in Uri, which was the biggest salon at the time Yeah. as a, as a junior. And at 17, because when you come from a big family, you're cutting her at home. You, 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 your skill's not lost. Yeah. As soon as you come home from school, work your mum my mummy would say well you're bound to be good now get in there and get started <laughs> so you practice cutting your sister's hair my brother's hair and uh, obviously making lots of mistakes but they had a, we used to always joke the difference between a good haircut and a bad one is a fortnight you'll soon, <laughs> you'll soon get over it yeah. but lots of got there's were and lots of good neighbors at home fabulous neighbors they would allow me to practice on them and come over and try cut my hair and of course I, so i was well ahead of most people so at 19, believe it or not, with very little money and just a lot of drive, I opened my very first hairdressing salon and it was in Banbridge at the time because yeah. I had a good clientele and I knew I had. So I was fortunate enough to um, get a place and I did everything second hand. I got second hand furniture and second hand stuff because I was afraid of getting myself into debt. Yeah. And I opened it up. And because then you're, you're not only, when you're doing something like that, opening a business like that, you're not only becoming, you're not only a hairdresser now, you're a businesswoman. I was a businesswoman. So and that's, that's, you know, you need to be able to mar- marry the two things. Exactly. And I had to learn the skill of uh, management and managing staff that I had. So, uh, because I had two or three girls at that stage. And then eventually I had two salons in Banbridge, one at the top of the town and one at the bottom of the town. 
and I employed 20 people at one time and I had a beauty salon so and you had a business and yes I, I don't I think if I'm honest Ellie and what I would say I do have I faked it till I made it fake oh, it right. till you make it what I would do is watch how you train staff watch the different personalities and try to I know business people have a word for that nowadays but mine was go with my gut go with my flow and and don't be afraid to say we don't know it all and and deal with staff who maybe have a bad day and then let it go yeah and be humane about it. i think because i had a family of 14 and was able to be like a chameleon in a sort of way i could use those a, a chameleon so i can go from one i know what works that'll work yeah so like dealing with 14 personalities at home could easily deal with personalities at work yeah, and it's certain, and, and, and love it's such a skill in itself, it's just ma- managing managing people in the right way because exactly. it can and all go very wrong for somebody who, who who doesn't. You might be the best hairdresser in the world, but if you if you can't manage people, exactly, that's a skill in itself. Yeah. Because what I used to think is, and I always thought this is the key to it all, is if there's an atmosphere and there's something that has gone wrong, for goodness' sake, don't make a big deal about it. Get the girls in and clear the air. What have I done? What has annoyed you? For God's sake, tell me. Yeah. Don't be going around with a face on you and I don't know what has happened or what is, why, what has upset you. Now, I had staff that I knew and they were, to this day, they st- we're still friends. Yeah. Still the wee girls that I employed when they were 16 and 15. I used to even show them how to save because no, none of them knew how to save. So I actually had their, I used to get them their wages. I had uh, their books, their wee bank books. And I would go to the post office and there, or the bank, it was, in them days it was Alliance and Leicester, I used to go around there and put their money in their bank and show them their bank books because they didn't know how to save. Yeah. So there were skills that I thought, because life I, skills. Life skills that yeah. I thought I should pass on. Yeah. And I was never one bit jealous or annoyed if anybody decided, listen, I want to leave and open on my own. I thought, no, away you go. Because I felt that uh, we're all like, we're only passing through. I don't. Ha- my attitude is different to most people's. It's a wee bit off, I think. Well, it sounds ad- like a very good attitude to me. Uh, well, my <laughs> attitude has always been because I've had a great parents, and my attitude has always been. Uh, well, I started on my own, and was allowed to spread my wings and fly. So if my girls decided, listen, I'm going to open on my own, I'd say, listen, away, go ahead and do it. Yeah. And I told them how to go about it and go and get the bank loan and how to pay it back and. Because the way I look at it is, there's enough for everybody. Yeah. And what's need and what's greed, and there's enough for us all. Yeah. And we all survived, I and mean, everybody, even to this day, it's very funny because the girls in Banbridge, if you met them all, if you went and told them the same story, I think, well, I can't remember doing that. One of them speak, spoke to me recently and said, Do you remember us having the savings, the savings books? I said, I forgot about that. <laughs> you know, and they told me things about the private life, about them, maybe if they. They had boyfriends and stories and relationships and all of that kind of thing. So it was great. Yeah. And I lo- and the same the staff that I had when I started, I had when I finished. So some of them were with me twenty years and that type of thing. Yeah. So I remember I remember clearly nineteen it was nineteen when I, when I opened up and in nineteen ninety eight it was coming up to the year I think Diana died in in around that time. Yeah. And I was I wasn't getting anything more out of her dressing. It wasn't for it wasn't fulfilling my soul is yeah. the best way to describe it. it it wasn't my soul I had I, it has to come from my soul it's a hard thing to describe but that's how I yeah, am yeah 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 so I thought to myself what I'll do is I have to make a difference 
And I remember a patient of mine, she was a customer actually, who came as a, and she was going through chemo, and she said she needed a wig. So I happened to be in London that particular weekend with a sister of mine, and I thought I'd do my investigative work there. So I fell in with a- You couldn't find a wig here? No. So I went, fell in with, with a Jewish man. As you do? Uh, he was an absolute, <laughs> uh, as you do, he was an absolute star, an absolute star. And he took me to his uh, place in London at the time. It was called Her Razors then. And he showed me the, the mechanics of it, how it works. And I remember thinking that aha moment that they talk about, yes, yes. Because he was an Orthodox Jew. And they, so they, they wear those, they exactly. wear the long wigs yes, that we see, which yes, I never knew yes, were actually yes. wigs. I thought they were their own hair. I didn't know that until I read that That's before right. I was speaking to you. That's right. They covered their hair for religious reasons. Yeah. So long short of it, Mr. Seymour, you called him at the time, was a lovely man. He more or less introduced me to the world of wigs. And I came home with this idea that I was going to turn the beauty salon that we had at the time had become vacant. And I thought, we'll use that room and I'll start my very first wig shop. I think we were the first people at that time that ever had a wig shop in Northern Ireland. So that was my first. And at that time, my sister, because I had my sister, because can you imagine, I'm one of 14 children, yeah. so my sister employed her and had a brother employed. So I'm a very much family. So you were like Mrs. Brown's and boys. Like, don't you know, <laughs> don't you know. So my sister's over there. And my sister said to me one day, which I knew was true, she said, when you come down after doing a cancer patient or a, an alopecia patient, you, you're not yourself, you're distant. And when you're dealing with a person who is has a great head of her and who's going out for the night, you don't seem to have the same uh, empathy with them. Or, you know, with the ordinary person. And I said, you know, you're dead right. I just love when I can make a difference to somebody who's no her. And it must be, you know, very emotional at times oh. because especially, well, for either, for well, obviously for a cancer patient, for, for one reason, for an alopecia patient, for another reason, because people probably don't, appreciate how difficult it is for somebody with alopecia as well but it must you you probably find uh, there's an awful lot of emotion with people coming in here you're you're probably dealing with you're dealing with a lot you're dealing with a lot and you're listening to the backstory because people like people will share stories with me because i'm not a doctor and they'll ask me the question do you know of anybody else that has her loss like this and do you know of anybody else that that has had cancer at my stage and all those questions that they want to ask me because I'm not, um, I'm neutral. Yeah. I'm not giving them. And you're very I, approachable. Well, I, I do my best, but I try my best to give them what I, my Holy Spirit tells me. Yeah. I work with that. I'm sorry. It's just who I am. I am a great believer in faith. Yeah. And I've always been. Always, always, always. I am nothing without the man above, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's just who I am. It's, I have a great belief system. And I would have tried to think now how would another how would I like to be treated, and how would another person like to be treated by me? So I try to pass that. That's my way of thinking. It always has been. So, so that's that's sometimes if I have a bad day, I might be a wee bit off. But most times I'm always trying to think. I wonder how that wee lady would have felt, and try to get into her head. So some people come in with that are looking a wig and they're very emotional and they're naturally naturally because especially with cancer they're probably very early on when they uh, are looking you know chemotherapy it's, it's at early stages early stage and they'll ask you all the questions that when's my hair going to fall out and what 
what's going to happen does it fall out overnight do well i waking up in the morning and my hair be on the pillow and is that different for everybody or it, is this it's different and over the years with me having done doing this job now for 20 odd years now at this stage uh, i there's a pattern to it so uh, most people who have gone through chemotherapy they've got 19 days from the day they get their chemotherapy to their hair falls out and I always say count the day that you start your chemotherapy as day one count 19 days and on the 19th day your hair usually falls and how it falls out is because I know is it starts off like uh, your hair, my hair is sore it's a strange thing to say my hair is sore but it's not actually what's happening is the hair is coming out of the follicle and your head's sensitive okay. and as the hair falls out your hair is actually sore and they describe it almost like as if they've had their hair up in a very very tight ponytail yeah and then they took the ponytail down and it's achy yeah so i how it starts off you put your hand up to your hair and you'll pull a certain amount and you get a handful that's on the 19th day 20th day it's speeded up it's going faster 21 it's on your shoulders it's coming off your head very fast so i always say to people try and get there before it happens 19th day starts to fall don't i'm saying don't feel sorry for yourself but it's, it's we're human yeah but uh, psychologically it's better to deal with it rather than it deal with you yeah so the only control you can get back is when you sit decide listen it's coming off i'm going to take a pair of clippers to this and i'm going to get rid of it yeah. now anybody that's young like young girls do lose their hair and it's a lovely lovely thing to do if you have long hair to say okay i'm going to lose my hair but if someone else could benefit from this so they usually come in not day 19 maybe day 17 and what i'll do in that case is i put the hair in small ponytails all over their head if they've long hair cut it off below the elastic band so that there's plenty of length yeah because a little princess trust a charity in <coughs> england they use the they use that hair and that lovely long hair can be used for other children for to, for to have wigs made for free okay. so that's a nice thing yeah so i often think with especially young girls okay you're losing your hair but how good would it feel that someone else is going to benefit from it yeah so if it's something nice to do it's a nice thing but if anybody can't cope with the fact their hair's caught falling out because we're all so different we're dealing with so many different personalities and everybody takes it differently and some people think it's not going to happen then or this you know they're going to be the one in the million the hair isn't going to fall out so they're holding on to the very last but if they feel that i'm always guided by them i don't force anybody to come on quickly and get it shaved off just be because it's very gentle something that they have to decide yeah and when they're ready to take it off come into me i've turned the mirror turn them around from the mirror they don't see themselves and just get rid of it it's almost like I often think jumping into the the cold pool. Yeah. And oh, it might be cold, but it's over and done with. And there's something liberating when they finally do it and think, well, actually, you know, I survived that. That wasn't so bad. Yeah. You know, and the the her last day, I always say, it's the worst day and the best day. Because yeah. you're only ways up after that. Because you know, number one, that the treatment's doing what it's supposed to do. If it's gonna it's doing that to your hair what's it not doing to the yeah to the, to the cancer, cancer so yeah. obviously working so see it as a positive and try not to see it as a negative yeah and then you're in control and then you're in control yeah but that's my way of trying to get across to people 
um, they make it as easy for them as they can. Get ready to shake up summer with the Get Active ABC Sunshine Fill Program for kids and families. Get set for land-based adventure at our summer schemes, or why not get adventurous and maybe get wet at our Splashtastic Water Sports Summer Program. There are so many things to do, and all we need is you. See getactiveabc.com summer for all the details. And then how do they go about picking out uh, the oh, different hairstyles and the wigs? During the lockdown has been, for me, amazing, a strange thing. Because people started to send me photographs because they couldn't come in. So I thought, oh, this is a great idea. So if they send me a photograph, I'll look at them and think, hmm, do you know, even though she's light brown hair, she would actually see a few highlights. Yeah. So although she's coming for what she thinks is going to be exactly her, I'll actually push her out of her comfort zone a little bit and get her something with a wee highlight. So when they do come in, they'll try on everything that kind of looks like them. And then I'll say, well, what about the wild card? What about me picking something for you that you wouldn't pick for yourself? And we'll try on something completely different. And the oh, nine out of 10 times they go out delighted because they love, they can't believe it. Yeah. They can't believe that they can get something that looks like them. And you, obviously, because you're, because well, because you're a hairdresser, I mean, you, you know to go by the shape of somebody's face. People might not necessarily know what suits them themselves. You know, you think, oh, I'm always hiding behind my hair, I was long hair, but you might think, God, exactly. you know what, she, she's a lovely shaped face and my As short hair might be lovely on Exactly. Her. Yeah. And sometimes people who have grown, people who wear their hair up, say for toxic, always wear their hair in a very tight, short ponytail. Well, actually, visually looking at themselves in the mirror, they, they can see their face. So a short hair, they can get away with it. And I've never heard anybody say, ever, in the history of doing this job, you know, I have lovely wee, I have lovely wee ears, or I have a lovely wee nose. They always say, or I don't have a double chin. Oh, <laughs> oh God, so they all say to me, oh, I have, oh, I have a big nose. I said, for goodness sake, you have a lovely wee face and you have a lovely wee nose. Yeah. So when they see themselves with different shapes on, actually, they love it. It's, it's for me. I'm not joking you when I say this. This I don't even know I'm working. Yeah. I honest to goodness don't today for instance I was here today I get such a buzz out of it there's a girl came in today and she had she was wearing a piece obviously didn't get it off me but I looked at it and thought I know it looked 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 wiggy yeah so I said to her can I pick what I think would suit you and she said oh go ahead so we decided on we said mousy brown just like that I suggested a few one with highlights and got her on her and her mummy agreed it was gorgeous on her. So in the end, we got it cut and fixed, and she just went out of here. And boy, just you could see that she, I would say, she grew two inches in height. <laughs> you know, she straightened up. She stood and looked at herself in the mirror. And I said, now, because I wear one myself, I get it. I was going to say, do I was on Yes, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. And then I was sent her, now watch me. And I mean, I'd ne never, you told me that when we came, yes, I came in the drive, I'd never know yes, that you were wearing see, this. I'm talking to you while we do this, right? I'm going to give you an idea, right? You hear me taking this up. Yeah. Right. And my hair's pretty bad in underneath. You told me that you have very fine I hair, yeah. I have very thin hair. Now, this is my hair. Now, you might say it's not too bad. Yeah, no, now, it's not. But I can see what you mean when it's thin. It's yeah. thin. And if I get caught in the rain, which the wee bit of hair I have is... I always think I look, I look like a wet seagull. Do you really <laughs> one of those wee wet seagulls? So, when I put my hair on, which is a three-quarter topper, 
I just clip it on over the top of what I already have. I've got so used to putting this on. You I can do put it on. You can yeah. do it in seconds. Yeah. I would say to people, it's nearly like putting And you on. would never, really no. never know that that looked, no. that was a wig at yeah. all. It's fabulous. And I spend my day taking mine off. Does it ever, do they get itchy or anything? No, you don't even know you're wearing it. No. No. Well, or does it take getting used to? It takes getting used to, but there's different pieces will have different effects. Like mine's a three quarter piece, so I have her. But people who don't have her and they wear a full wig, they might find it a bit uncomfortable. To be does in. that just mean that the the, 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 the cover it covers the whole of your scalp? The whole of their scalp. And you only need a bit of the it's yours. That one is only covering like the top of your the scalp. The top of my head. Yeah. And my head's still able to breathe. Yeah. The, but there are different things happening in the wig world all the time, and things are improving. Like recently, there's a rubber band that has come out, and it's thick. That's quite good, and you can put it on it in underneath your wig, and it stops slippage. Right. And people will say to me they find it uncomfortable. I personally, it's a thick rubber, thick band, brilliant, yeah. because it means that if anybody did go up and say pull your hair, it's no, it wouldn't it's not move. Budge. And equally, uh, people will say if it is annoying them. I often say to people, start with wearing the wig first, and then tell me what's annoying you. You know the way, just the way if you put on. So you're gonna fix it afterwards, yeah. So I'd say, come on, we'll put on a, a wig liner in underneath. How do you feel with a wig liner? And if the wig liner can be comfortable, you can get a wig liner that's made of bamboo, it's like soft, and that's nice feeling on your head. And particularly if your hair has just fallen out and you have that um, prickly moment, you know, where your head's just newly shaved. Yeah. It can be a bit soft and sensitive. So wear a liner until you get used to it. And then finally, you. You get so used to wearing a wig, you don't even know you're wearing it anymore. It becomes like, I suppose, false teeth, or if you needed a hearing aid, or if you needed false eyelashes, you you forget it's there after a while. And do you take them off? Do people take, take them, them off, at, off night? at night and put them on a head? Usually, if they have one beside the bed, or not, that it doesn't necessarily have to be. I put my take mine off and put mine sometimes on the the banisters going up the stairs you know, the, the, yeah. the newel post yeah. is where mine normally stays because I know I can find it in the morning but I have polystyrene hair in the house I can put, take mine off and put it on the head and so you can take it off and get into bed usually if you have no hair a nice wee scarf or a nice wee soft cap to sleep in because you lose a lot of your heat through your head yeah. so I often think people need to be keeping their body temperature at the same so that they're feeling comfortable and that kind of thing. And what about um, real hair versus synthetic hair? Well, this is where this is the this is the big debate. Um, because I have to do the job as I feel as honestly as I can. Mm -hmm. It's horses for courses. So, say for toxic, there's somebody comes in who's long, young girl with long dark hair, or blonde or whatever length long. I would say definitely go for human. Because the reason for that is synthetic hair will rub against your shoulder and just like a doll's hair will go a bit frizzy. I yeah. must show you one, some woman left in here today that went into a complete frizz. Because synthetic hair will usually go frizzy along the back of your neck. Okay. And equally for me doing this job, there's a cost conscious part to it. You know, some is it, it's more expensive to get human it hair? Is, it is more expensive to get human hair but I'm always conscious of the people that can't afford it. 
Yeah. So there's a new thing out at the minute, and it's amazing. It is amazing. And it's called um, what's it called now? The woman got one today too. She came in to get hers blow dry. It's a high heat fiber, right. and you can blow dry them. And it's fiber, but it's cheaper than human hair. But you can blow dry it, but with uh, and it comes up beautiful. How do you clean a synthetic one then? You wash them uh, with lukewarm water, right. shampoo, conditioner. I have a Facebook page, and I show them how to wash them on the Facebook page. Okay. So anyway, they sit, they dry naturally, and all come back. Cur human hair needs washed and blow dried, and anybody that's quite skilled at blow drying, especially if they want it lovely and smooth, yeah. they need to have the skills of a good hairdresser. Yes. Or somebody that's uh, bought a long one, I would say, to them, if they're not great if, with their blow drying skills, is to wash it, condition it, and then put it on the block overnight and let it dry itself, and then run it over in the morning with a straightener. Right. Without having to do too much to it. Yeah. Do you find a lot of um, um, people donate that donate their hair? I know during lockdown, there was a lot of you saw a lot of these Facebook things where people were shaving their heads and donating their hair and stuff. That's like right. That for do you find? Yes. Well, that does happen, but they don't give it to me because I, it goes to uh, the charity called the Little Princess Trust. Oh yes. And they but they must have eight inches of virgin hair. Now when I say virgin hair, that means hair that has never been dyed, hair that has never been coloured. Yeah. Uh, good quality hair. They're not they don't want grey hair. So they want They don't want old hair. No, they don't want old hair. Or hair that has <laughs> been dyed. So it has to be usually anybody that hasn't tampered with their hair at all, you know, young ones. Can anybody do that in the hairdressers? Any, I mean, my daughter's going to be getting her hair cut now and she doesn't have anything done to her hair and she's 14 and she's lovely hair. Can can people just donate hair? Of course. Really? And of what? Course. Do, how do? How would you do, go about doing but, that but, if you just walk into your regular hairdressers? Well, no, no. Grow it, cut off the eight inches from the bottom and still have shoulder length hair. Yeah. And grow it on down and then keep selling it that way. But uh, they're not selling it. They don't buy it. Uh, I don't know of anywhere who actually purchases it other than that uh, Little Princess Trust are so glad of the donations. Oh yeah, well I'm sure most people would would want to donate. Wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lovely thing to do. It's a lovely thing, a lovely thing for me to do. And the nice thing is uh, that the Little Princess Trust send them a lovely certificate to say thank you. So you would just, if you wanted to do that, you would just get in contact with the with them first and yes. then you'd explain to your hairdresser what you were doing and then the hairdresser would, could cut, would it. cut it correctly and of then course. you'd send it off or whatever exactly or actually you could cut it yourself and then go to your hairdresser afterwards for a, a restyle yeah because if you weren't happy with your own hairdressing skills but if, as long as your hair was long pretty yeah. long and you just go straight across you can't go too far wrong yeah yeah no you it's know. a lovely thing to do it's a lovely thing to do and you now um, you have, and it's right behind us here, your MBE. Mm -hmm. Tell us how that came about. Uh, I still, uh, it, gets, it makes me emotional sometimes thinking of it. Because the lady uh, I that actually got behind that was a patient. And she has alopecia, young girl. And she had been everywhere, everywhere for a long time in England, everywhere at that particular time to try to get herself sorted out. And her aunt, the, two, the aunt and the mother came here with her. And I did my usual thing. You know, just was being myself and telling her what I would think was right and giving her confidence to go out with her on. And then after maybe, she'd been coming to me for four or five years. They um, actually went around all the doctors in the hospitals because 
at that stage I do go to hospitals and they suggested that uh, they thought I would be the right person to get an award so uh, luckily enough um, I, I got I got an MBE because you've helped how many I mean you must have helped a lot an awful lot of people yeah well I think particularly to when we first started in when I first got the job contracted to do the NHS wigs that was uh, in around about it could have been 98 or in around that time I remember going to Beaver Park Hospital and I said to the doctor in charge that I didn't feel that I was doing my best I have to do my best and my best wasn't I didn't think I was could do my best under the circumstances because I suggested we needed a room and that I know I was getting paid for the job but that wasn't the point I wanted to get do extra and the extra was to be there for people whose hair did fall out and when they were emotional so it's counseling as well counseling and to allow me to shave their head to cut their hair so they the very first Macmillan wig shop was opened up because of me and a professor Davidson in the hospital who was a psychologist and him and I uh, had similar views on things and I spoke to him about it and he got my concept and we opened up the very first um, wig shop in Beaver Park and then it rolled out from that but the very first person to all the hospitals to all over UK but it was our idea yeah. never before that ever happened now there's one in Belfast City Macmillan there's now one in Athena Galvin and all each one now has their own wig person because of what we started off with yeah. then which was lovely yeah and that was when you got picked your 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 uh, patients you were talking about yes, put you forward. forward and then the doctors and nurses all recognized that we were doing something that was a wee bit different yeah and thank goodness we got um rec recognized for how it. did that happen did you just get a phone call or i'll never forget it well tell us <laughs> do you remember one of them days i came home from work and my husband says to me there's a letter in the post what year was this? It must have been uh, 2000. It says it up there on the thing, doesn't it? Or 2000 and, before you say it, was, it must have been 2007 or 2008 before. It was the Christmas, November, yeah. I always remember. And my husband came into the room, he says, there's a letter down there. And he says, I don't like the look of it. <laughs> it looks a bit official. I know. <laughs> so I looked at the quality of the paper and I thought, oh, that looks very good paper. So Not from anybody I, I know. And, it up <laughs> and it comes up on a Downing Street. It comes, it comes from officially from Downing Street, 10 Downing Street, and that uh, I can't remember offhand what the whole letter says, but more or less to say that your name has been put forward for an MBE, and it's almost that you're not supposed to tell anybody, so uh, until it comes out in the New Year's Honours list. Oh, that must have been so hard. No, well, you see, I'm very good at keeping secrets. <laughs> oh, you're a hairdresser. So anyway, I took the piece of paper, threw it up, and photocopied it. Because I said you had to send it back, sign oh. to say that you were going to accept it, and that would go back. So I thought, no, I'm just in case I never, just in case this is. Were you shocked? I mean, you must have been. Really it was nice. It was nice. It was a bit of a shock, but photocopied it just in case, you know. So yeah. it's not, every so often, have we look at it and see, you know. So I had the photocopy, and then I sent it off to say yes that I would accept it, and genuinely put it out of my head. So about two or three days after Christmas, he comes running into the room and he says to me, "Your names." the New Year's honours list you've been on you've, you've got an MBE I, th I thought your name was only being put forward yeah. the way it's written 
it seems as if you're you're like you're just nominated you're just nominated you're nominated but then when it finally happens i thought oh goodness so uh, was it good and the nicest thing about it was because i asked different ones like who put my name forward for that and nobody would tell me but i wasn't having it so i wanted to find out exactly who it was so found out who it was this lovely girl who pleaded with me never to say it was her because she doesn't want to let anybody know that she's wearing a wig so yeah. anyway so when i found out it was her it was lovely so what she did was she gave me every letter that they did that went in support of that mbe and it was lovely to read all the lovely comments yeah i saw some of them yeah on the ah, it was lovely yeah it was lovely and i thought oh now that's a nice thing to do so well it's just nice when you're i suppose you know people do appreciate everything that you do and you ah, know it was lovely but it's nice to get that recognition it's nice uh, it is nice and then with, with a certain amount of humility involved that you think to yourself people expect me to be this wonderful all the time because i'm not <laughs> do you know what i mean i had a, a man in recently and I th- he was a lovely man he's a lovely man and he said to me i trust you completely hey no matter what you do i trust you completely and i said oh oh oh, oh dear <laughs> do you get a lot of men oh you do that's what i was going to ask probably in the alopecia yeah, end of things as well i'm gonna show you photographs of my on my phone of some of the men who do allow me to show their photographs and I am not joking you, if it's done well and done right, there's no way anybody would know. Would it be normally men, would men be just be from na- from natural balding or would it be from cancer and no, no. different it, things? No, no, you get a mix. You might get a man who's maybe going through chemo and his daughter's maybe getting married and he wants to walk his daughter down the aisle yeah. and he doesn't want to have memories of photographs with him. With yeah, her. yeah. So you would get that. But most um, men don't bother if they're... Uh, or premature balding balding we do that yeah there are a lot of toupees young fellas you'd be surprised but back to the yeah. MVE. Yes. i just want to know about the the, the, the day. day the day oh, the yeah day was, the day the day itself uh we went over to long i'll never forget that was a great day it was a great day because of certain things that happened that i thought was incredible there was um a man for the phone you beforehand to say lord brookbrook was a lovely man really lovely man he rang me and he asked me how do you say your name because he used to call it out so he didn't know how to say it was a trace or trees or how do you say it so i was talking to him on the phone and he asked where would i be in london that particular week so i said to him well i'm going i think the infestiture was on the thursday but i'm going to go on the tuesday and very nicely he said to me well would you like i'd like to invite you and your family to, to come to um, the House of Commons for lunch or afternoon tea I think it was I'm not sure exactly anyway so that was a lovely treat and I thought that everybody got that but apparently not oh really he can just decide at his discretion he just liked the cut of your jib no we were having, <laughs> we were having a crack over the phone yeah because he asked me where would we where would we stay in London you know what hotel and I was embarrassed do they not pay for you to stay well, over they, there they don't they put a, they, they contribute to it Right. So say you wanted to stay in a very high fluting hotel, they're obviously not going to pay for that, but they'll give you a certain percentage towards a, a hotel yeah, yeah. of a certain value. So I thought, it's not every day you get the MBE, uh, so I'm going to stay in the Ritz. Oh, I okay. Know. I thought, I don't care if we're eating beans. See, I think I'd, be the, I'd do that myself. Yes. I'd just save up and stay that's in the Ritz. What, that's <laughs> what I said. I thought, well, we don't, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do anything. And I'm going to really, this is, this is my, and I said to my husband at the time, because he was going, are you crazy? I said, I don't care. 
if it's beans and toast for a year, I'm we're staying, staying in the this, So that's what we did, and I booked it, and uh, we went over the day or two before, and I'd said to uh, the Brooker at the time, I said to him, "Oh, I'm embarrassed to tell you where I'm staying, but before I tell you where I'm staying." always think of beans and toast for a year that's what <laughs> beans and toast for at least a year so he was laughing we did crack over the phone and then was chatting to him he suggested then you know i'd love to meet you so then we finally went over to london and we what's had, the rates like it was beautiful do you know what's the best part this is what the best part was we were sitting in the ritz right in the foyer and i had a fake now it's the gold street a fake <laughs> Chanel on back. <laughs> and I was, I was saying to my daughter, they say nothing, say nothing. I wonder do they know that my bag's fake and that hardly because we're No, because they'd assume it wasn't <laughs> fake, you're at the Ritz. <laughs> exactly. So we're sitting there watching the whole style and everybody going up and down. And it was the same weekend, I'll never forget it, uh, ABBA. It wasn't ABBA, but do you know that Mama Mia was out at the time? Yeah. And they had been staying in the Ritz, the, um, I think, I don't know, whoever was in the play at that particular time. And uh, we were asking the staff, you know, what was who's the celebrities and who stays here, and the, the staff were lovely. And that night, they're probably allowed to tell you any of that. Oh, they do. They told us. Oh, did they? Yeah. But it turns out anyway that it, we got friendly with the manager, and the manager said to me, when the night's all over and everybody goes to bed, usually about ten or whatever, and everything settled down, I'm going to invite you and your son because my son and my daughter sat downstairs. My husband went to bed. He wasn't interested. We wanted to see the stay. And uh, the manager said, come on, I'll show you all around the, the Ritz. Uh, up and showed us where Prince Charles has his own private function rooms and stuff. Really? And he gave our mark, I'll never forget it, he gave our mark a private uh, membership club to the casino or something. That he could go there for the rest of his life. Wow. He wanted to give it to me and I said, no point in giving it to me because I'm not in London that often. Yeah. But our mark, my Does son, he use it? Oh, I think he said he was in it once or twice. Yeah. He just... They probably just charge you so much just for a drink in there, though. Yes, well, <laughs> as long as you get in, she yeah. not, and just to see how they are half live. Yeah. But that was fascinating, and that whole weekend was fascinating, and it was um, Prince Charles who gave me my award. Did he? Did he say anything to you? He did. did. He, he what did, did he we say? We had great crack. I I didn't expect to think. I thought to myself he's talking to me longer than it seems because we're all told beforehand the the, the rules. Are you allowed to look uh, yeah, at Yes, so, no, we were told all this. Uh, Kylie Minogue was there that day, and Kylie Minogue's tiny, so, and so am I. So we were both told to stand at the front while the, the man who comes in and gives us the whole rules, you're not allowed to, you have to reverse, you're not allowed to turn your back on royalty. You must right. sort of take... So, oh, yeah. I think I saw that in the crown. Ah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except very interesting. We were, we were all queuing up, and um, when it was my turn, are you allowed to speak? You're not allowed to speak till you're no, spoken no, to. No, you're not allowed to speak. This is the bit that I thought was strange. We were told you're not to speak until he speaks to you. And then how you know that your time is up, he will put his hand in your hand and he will, you know, just as a thank you. And you walk away at that point. If he, if you're holding on to his hand, you're not letting go. <laughs> you're, you know, you're pushing your luck. So the conversation came... He must be fed a certain amount of information in, in his ear because there's no way, or not unless his notes on each person. He actually had a full conversation with me, which I thought was, goodness, how does he know all this? So Maybe it, he just does his homework really well. well it's, I mean, this is his job. Well, he couldn't remember everybody. There was at least a hundred and something right. that day. So when it was my turn, and he said to me, 
uh, are you still working at the hospital? I looked at him and thought, how do you know that? <laughs> so then he laughed and he said to me, don't be looking at me and thinking I need one, you know, a piece. So right. then I said straight back to him, because I'm used to people saying that to me, say, don't you worry, if I notice anything up, happening up there, I know you didn't get it off me. And I'll be raging or something like that back to him. And then he then laughed and then he said something back to me and he asked me where I got them from and all the rest of it. And his conversation lasted quite a while. I thought, goodness. So when he finally came to say bye bye, he puts his hand into my hand and I walk away. And then you go over to the side and they take the medal off you, the boys at the side, and they put it into a nice presentation. And the man at that side, he said, here he liked you. He talked to you for a good while. I said, I thought that too. Oh, he says, definitely. He said, you for <laughs> I said, well, I and I didn't overstay my welcome. I sure didn't. He said, no, you didn't. Because he says, we well, sort of watched from the side. He says, no, you did everything perfectly right. But he said, he definitely spoke, chatted plenty to you. And I said, he definitely did. So the lovely thing about it was, Lord Brooker was the person who calls out your name. Yeah. So uh, whenever the whole thing was over, I was coming down the stairs in Buckingham Palace and uh, I could hear this person shouting my name and I wondered where the voice was coming from. And there was Lord Brooker standing outside waiting just to say you had a good day and I hope you enjoyed it. And I thought they went more than the extra mile for us. Yeah. And just everything. And even if you ask my children to this day, you know, Mark and Claire, well, what was a nice experience for you? They'd say, Mommy, that was just magical. Well, was, did you get to talk to Kylie Minogue? I at did. All? Oh, did you? Oh, What's she like? Kylie Minogue. Is she lovely? She looks she lovely. She is lovely. I'd say she is. I'll tell you how lovely she is. Her and I, because we were small, were told to come to the front. Yeah. So I said to Kylie, my daughter's a mad fan of Kylie Minogue, and I said to her, will you promise, when we finally get outside, because for the photographs, will you say hello to our Claire? Meaning my Claire. Yeah. And she, that was all right. So... When the whole thing was over and I started talking to Kelly Minogue uh, and she had her security people with her, um, Kelly Minogue shouts over to me, Where's our Claire? Where's our Claire? <laughs> Come on, get her. So we went and got Claire and Mark, and Claire was all nervous. I said, Come on, she's asked for you. And we went and got her photograph taken then outside with Kelly. And it was lovely because I yeah. thought she remembered her name and everything. And oh, that was nice. Yeah, she was what was she there for? Was she, she got an OBE the same day that I got my okay. MBE. And she, I was, God forgive me, you know what you do. I was watching her face because I really wanted to see what part of her face moved. And <laughs> <laughs> being nosy. I wanted, now I know that I am my, I know I'm roughly about nine stone. And I was then, my daughter would I'd say be about eight stone. I would say Kylie Minogue was no more than, I'd say six stone. Gosh. She's so, so tiny. tiny yeah. And so fine feature. And such a lovely soul. Just a lovely... Did her face move though? Oh, not at all. <laughs> I watched her face. Because I came away thinking, aha, because she, she, I don't know what age a Kylie would be now, but her face was just so porcelain-like. Yeah. You know the way, and I thought this is an opportunity to get up and close. You know, yeah. I were, our girls were saying in the shop when I came home, "Well, did you did you see any pores in your skin, any spots?" I said, "No, I didn't get that close." But you know, <laughs> but I got enough. You know, because we all want to know the the nitty gritty, don't we? All yeah. want to know the nitty. But I have to say now, Kelly was lovely. It, just the whole experience to the day I die was one of the most best, the best day of my life at that po to the point. Yeah. But there's, I'm sure, hopefully there's more to come. Oh, I'm sure there's plenty more Not to come. Yeah. Hopefully. So you're going to keep this up for 
This is it. This is your. Well, I, the way I say it, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm now 61. I can, well, not really 61. I was 61 in my birthday in in, in October. So you're I'm putting years on yourself. I know I'm putting years. <laughs> I don't know. We we all do, but it's I, like we're getting ready for it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yes. And uh, anyway, it is what it is. But I know it has to come wind down at some stage. But uh, I love it. I don't. And you have a place in Belfast too. I have a shop in Belfast. Yeah. I've, uh, this sounds crazy. I'll give you my schedule. Monday, Drogheda. I go to Drogheda to the Gary Kelly to the cancer patients in Drogheda, and then come back here in the afternoon to the shop in Uri. Tuesday, I'm in here today. Wednesday, tomorrow, I'll go to Belfast. Thursday, I'm in Derry. I go to Abbott on Thursday. Friday, I'm back here in Uri to the shop, and Saturday, I'm here in the shop. So mm. I don't get a day off. I'm always in doing something. Yeah, it's great, and you. I'm not just saying this. You, I mean it in my heart, and so just love, love, love it. Just love it. It's like somebody saying to you, um, it's like somebody saying to an artist, "Don't paint." Yeah. You say, "What? Are you joking? It would kill myself." It's a vocation. I, you don't even know it, and there are times like in this venture, or how much you can make. If you go down that road, you will lose your creativity. When you do the thing that comes from your heart. It, the money is secondary. Yeah. It will come. Don't go with the eye to, um, oh, this is going to make me a fortune, because then you lose your soul in it. But if you do the thing right and come from the love, the, 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 the money will follow. The good things will come. And you'll always get enough. There are times I remember when I first started hairdressing years ago, but my, my, I used to lift, say, maybe £25 the whole day. And we used to say at the end of the day, come on, we'll eat it. I'm very grateful and I've always been very grateful because I think if I see I'm blessed I think I'm a great mother and father I love my family I've great sisters and brothers and, I've great, and I like my faith and I've a lot to be thankful for yeah. so I you know God's been good to me the universe has been good to me yeah. alright well listen thanks a million Trace Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to Teresa's story there and um, everything that she had to tell us about hair pieces and wigs and, of course, um, Prince Charles and Kylie Minogue. Remember to keep getting all of your news from Arma I and I hope you join us next time for our podcast. From the... I don't know what to say. I'm just speechless. To the... I can't believe it. I can't believe it. We see all sorts of life-changing moments at McKinney Competitions. How would you react? Cars, houses, tech bundles and more from just £2 a ticket. No purchase necessary. For competitions, rules and conditions, see mckinneycompetitions.com.